What you're about to listen to is my interview with Jenna Switzer, a holistic sex coach and yoga teacher trainer. The interview was filmed in one sitting, but I've broken it up into two episodes and this is part one. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Amanda and welcome to Self. On this podcast, I share ideas and experiences and have conversations to explore the self. By developing our own self-awareness, we can show up better for ourselves and those around us and hopefully all live happier and healthier lives. On today's episode, I've got a very special guest joining me. Her name is Jenna Switzer. Jenna is a holistic sex coach and a yoga teacher trainer. Hi. Hi. Hi, Jenna. Welcome to Self. (laughs) I'm so excited. I just had to hop in. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Okay. I'm really excited to have you on here today. You are someone who is passionate about really empowering people to be more confident um, and experience, I suppose, like a better life, a healthier life from a holistic perspective through some tools of mindfulness, breathing practices and movement all the stuff that I love. Absolutely. Yeah. I love, I love, love, love what I do. I think I have the best job in the world. <laughs> I love that. So one, I mean, <laughs> I'm excited because first of all, I love talking about sex. Um, I think ah. the very, the very <laughs> first conversation we had when we first met was just, yeah. I don't know, it was a long talk about sex. <laughs> and then secondly, though, it's not, I think sex is often seen as almost this like dirty taboo kind of topic very private let's not talk about anything going on in our sex life with Mm -hmm. random people but your holistic approach that embodies both you know sex movement wellness and encompassing all of that together for me it feels very wholesome Oh, good. Yeah. Like my idea when I think about me as a sex coach and like how I want people to experience me is like when you're having a girl's night and you're just kind of chatting about what's going on in your life and you're saying, you know, like, oh, this week, like this awesome thing happened in my work and like, oh, this week I've been really struggling with this with my partner or, you know, I haven't really wanted sex a whole lot recently. And it's that kind of conversation. It's not like, how can I shock you with explicit details? Yeah. It's, hey, here's some things about my life and my intimacy and I want to share and I want people to feel like they can share both the dirty details and like and the very intimate parts, but also just like understand that this is a common situation. A lot of the things we struggle with are very, very common and it's nice to be able to have these conversations in a wholesome way that doesn't feel like there's any shame around the fact that you really like missionary with the lights out, you know, like, or that you like something like really out there or really, you know, what you consider to be wild. Like there's that sense of community in that we all have desires and we all Mm. deserve to experience pleasure. Yeah. Well, I feel like most people are having sex. I also, yes. (laughs) It's something that we, you know, for most of us have experienced or are experiencing at the moment, are participating in. And yet it feels like, I guess, like quite a taboo thing. People just, yeah, as you said, we want, you want people to be able to speak about this very openly and to feel, I suppose, um, just open without it being 
you know, feeling like something you have to be ashamed of. Exactly. And I think that there's a lot of guilt and shame that comes from, you know, conditioning through society or religious Mm. beliefs. But then also if you think of like social media platforms really don't like the word sex or the word pleasure. And so in a, I'll say subtle, it's not so subtle, but in a, in a subtle way, we're, we're consistently getting these messages that this Mm. is something that's shameful or embarrassing or shouldn't be discussed openly. And so I think that that also doesn't help our understanding of sex as being like a wholesome experience as part of our day-to-day life, right? Yeah, but the really strange thing is, as you were saying that, the thing I thought about is how much sex is used to sell oh my God. products, music, and movies to us. So at the same time, we've got this, what sex really is perhaps to most people, a part of mm-hmm. life, a part of our relationships, a very natural, intimate part that's very beautiful and can be deeply connecting is taken and then used to sell us things Mm -hmm. and then in that and then in that case in the picture of where it is used to sell I feel like that's quite accepted yeah and the and the information that we're taking in from sex being used to sell because it's all that we're seeing openly communicated it's what we accept as truth it's like oh you know, guys always want sex because mm-hmm. in all the ads, it's the man initiating the sex. Therefore, you know, and it's it's not, I don't think that we consciously think these things. It's just when you're shown the same images and the same messages over and over again, that's just what becomes normalized in your brain, right? So we're getting yeah, these totally. weird mixed messages. It's very, very shameful. But if it's not shameful, then it looks like this. And yeah. and then if our sex looks differently or our pleasure experiences looks differently, then now we're just very thrown off and very confused, right? Yeah, totally. So let's go back a minute. Something I'm really interested in is you started off, I mean, not started off your life but you've been a yoga (laughs) teacher trainer for a decade yep and that started well before this holistic sex coaching so how do you go from that into this (laughs) so I was always really interested as an anatomy teacher I was very very interested in Um, sorry, as a yoga teacher, I was very, very interested in anatomy Mm -hmm. and biomechanics and healthy body movements and functional movements and all of this kind of thing. And so I did teach in yoga studios, but definitely for the first part of my career, like we'll say the first like four-ish years, I was teaching a lot of sports teams. I was teaching in gyms. I was teaching in CrossFit boxes to weightlifters, to powerlifters. And so I was very focused in on like what's happening to the muscles of the body. And anyone who has spent any time studying anatomy knows that the body is like a vast universe. And so you can start off teaching anatomy, but eventually you have to focus in on one thing because Mm -hmm. you cannot, I mean, you can ask any GP, right? Like you go to a general practitioner and they have to send you to a specialized doctor because they don't know all the details, right? So I started to really focus in on the hips and the pelvis and what was happening in that area of our body. And I experienced a um, sexual trauma that really kind of shook up my relationship to this area of my body. And in my recovery of that, um, working with a therapist and a doctor and like what I knew about yoga is I really had to bring together all these tools to better understand this area of my body. And it made Mm -hmm. me really go back to zero. Like, what did I actually know about 
pleasure in my body? And Mm -hmm. what was I allowing society to tell me was okay? And then in the process of rebuilding, I completely transformed how I experienced sex and intimacy and pleasure. And turns out it was way better than I ever experienced before. And then I got super passionate and I started looking around like who else is teaching this stuff. Yeah. And it feels to me that there's a huge disconnect, right? You have, um, you know, feminine empowerment coaches that are teaching us how to utilize this feminine energy. And that's really beautiful. And you have um, pelvic floor physiotherapists that are really working to get the functionality. Mm -hmm. But having those two in one place where you can both combine your physical movements and the energetics of it it really seemed like a hole in the market. So I was able to like really combine all the work that I'd done with different people's bodies, how they interact, how they move, how they engage with their bodies, and then also pull in the energetics, like what's happening in the subtle body. Wow. And so you just said how pleasure really shifted and changed for you. What did that look like before um, this experience and, and the therapy that you went through? And what did it look like after? So prior to this, I, I was, I really felt like I was piecing together like sex and pleasure from like whatever I could pick up. So when I was a kid, um, my friend Brady and I, uh, built this cabin or this, um, tree fort. And the way we built the tree fort is we would save up our allowance and we would go to the hardware store and we didn't know if we were supposed to use screws or nails. So we would buy both because we had no idea. And then we would like find pieces of wood and then find like kind of half rotting boards. And we were just like nailing and screwing and we had no idea what we were doing. And so in the end, we had this quote unquote tree fort, (laughs) but it was like the most unstable, scariest, like, like precarious thing. And we were up there like one day we were like, yeah, cool. And then we never went up there again because we were scared to death. And I think that that's such a good representation of how Mm. I viewed pleasure, right? Is that I was like picking stuff up from movies. I was picking stuff up from my friends, like what I learned, you know, from my parents who had a very conservative approach to it. And they really had well intentions, but the purity culture movement, um, which is really big, was really big in the United States at the time, like really had such a damaging effect on me. So it was like putting rotting boards into my house that I was building. And so when this trauma happened, it's like it all fell to pieces. I was flat on my ass and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, where do I go from here? And so now instead of like pulling random pieces together, it's like I'm looking, I'm pulling something and I'm looking at it. You know, does, um, you know, does porn really serve me? do I really like to have casual sex? Do I really want monogamous or non-monogamous relationships? And so as I started to piece it back together, I started to create this really personalized experience of pleasure. And so one of the big things that came out for me is like communication is huge. And I know it sounds so like obvious because everybody says this, but like how hard is it to talk to your partner during sex to say like, actually, I don't really like that. Like nobody wants to do that. And so to be able to like learn to practice that out Mm. of the bedroom so that I can do it in the bedroom, like was huge for me. And then once I started doing it in the bedroom, I could do it like I I had a much easier time with boundaries in my life. Mm -hmm. And practically, you know, I went from if I was lucky, I had an orgasm during a sexual encounter whether with myself or with a partner. And it wasn't guaranteed. It was like every once in a while it would happen. And, you know, after it was done, I was exhausted. I didn't want to have sex anymore. And then that like completely transformed to this ability to experience pleasure in a way that 
becomes multi-orgasmic. And not mm. only was I having the orgasms from external stimulation, I was able to have it from internal stimulation. And I awesome. thought that was impossible. Like I'd Googled years ago, like, you know, can all women orgasm? And it says like, no, statistically speaking, you know, this many women can't orgasm. And I just assumed that was me, like that, that I just didn't have a body that could orgasm. And then through this whole, like bringing all these healthy pieces together in a way that felt aligned for me, I was, I was able to like kind of explode my capacity for intimacy and pleasure. Oh, that, that just makes me so happy hearing that. I think, <laughs> you know, I guess for us as women, we talk to each other a lot and mm -hmm. I think between close girls, we're pretty comfortable generally speaking about sex. And yeah. I know from a lot of my friends, like even talking about women having orgasms, um, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong here based on stats because I haven't read it recently, but I think it's something like maybe only, I want to say, I don't know, 30, 40% of women actually orgasm with a partner, potentially even less. I know. I know. Is that it? It's, it's wild. I don't know what the statistics are right now. Same as you, like I would have read it a while ago, but it's shockingly low. Com compared to men having orgasms during yeah. sex. Yeah. It's almost like a hundred percent for men versus like one third with women, right? Yeah. And I, and I think that just becomes, and it has become something that's so accepted that if mm -hmm. in a heterosexual relationship, if it's a man and a woman that he's going to come and yeah. she may or may not. Right. And this is really interesting because this, these are the pieces, like these broken pieces we're picking up, right? Because you have on the one hand, you have, um, this stereotype that men should always come during sex. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting because that puts so much pressure on a guy. Like what happens when he doesn't orgasm during sex, you know? And then yeah. it's like this pressure put on him regarding that experience. Um, yeah, actually. And that just made me think there's actually two, two things going on here. One is you've got women who will typically accept, oh, I'm just not going to orgasm. And then, as you said, men mm -hmm. feeling this enormous pressure. And if they can't, then perhaps as if they've failed or something. So yes, you gave me so many great gems there in what you were just saying earlier. And I want to go back to what you said about communication. Mm -hmm. And you said that, you know, for us, we understand that communication is key and that it's needed. And yet, so many people find it really difficult to communicate with their partner what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy. Why do you think this is? I mean, for the most part, it's well-intentioned. It's the same as faking orgasms, right? The majority of people who fake orgasms, they're doing it because they don't want to hurt the other person's feelings, right? Mm. They want them to feel good. So I really think for the majority of us, it comes from a place of not wanting to hurt someone's feelings, not want to bruise their ego, wanting them to feel good themselves and their abilities and to like encourage them. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's, it comes from a good place. And I think it can be done. We can communicate in ways that encourage rather than discourage, right? A great example right. is you're having a moment with your partner and, you know, they're kissing your ear and kissing your, their ear. This is an example for me because I'm not much of an ear person, right? Okay. So somebody starts kissing my ear. And instead of saying like, ew, that's disgusting, like, or, you know, hey, like can you that. please stop kissing my ear? Yeah. You could say something like, yeah. oh my gosh, it's really hot when your hands are on my neck or when you're kissing my neck, or you know what I'm saying? Like, I right. want to, I want to kiss your mouth with my mouth or, 
you can redirect in a positive way in the moment. And, and I think that we just get worried because obviously we don't want to hurt our partner's feelings. And also for a lot of people, we've kind of let things slide for so long in the relationship that to bring it up now feels really harsh and really intimidating and really scary. So I think that, and when we, when we have parts that we're not communicating, it's kind of, it kind of festers, you know, like you, how we do one thing is how we do everything. And that's so, 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 so true. And so how we communicate, if we're a people pleaser outside of the bedroom, mm-hmm. we are 100% going to be people pleasers in the bedroom. If you're not holding your boundaries with your friends, with your siblings, with your parents, with your partners, with your children, then you're not holding your boundaries in the bedroom. And so right. that communication is really important. And if you really, really struggle to talk to your partner during intimate times, then I really encourage you to look for places in your day-to-day life where you can communicate with those around you. So I have a really good friend um, and her and I attribute our ability to communicate in relationships to our friendship because we have had some really hard talks. We've had some times where we both set boundaries with each other and really like this hurt my feelings when you did this. And being able to like communicate with a friend translates to your ability to communicate with your partner. Yeah, it's it's a directly transferable skill, isn't it? Just the ability totally. to communicate. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, as you said, many of us, it comes from a good place of not wanting to hurt anyone's feelings. And so we tend to just hold things back and that's in everyday life. We, you know, yes, we don't set boundaries. We don't want to say no. And then, but the thing about this is in the bedroom, there's, I suppose, this like impact and, and it, starts to add up over time where as you said then over a period of time your partner's been doing this one thing that actually you really hate and you haven't said anything about it how do you suggest in that instance to go back and then address something like that it really depends on the situation like if it's something that's been going on for a long long time then it's going to be a bit of a tricky conversation and Mm. I really suggest having it outside of the bedroom, outside of an intimate moment. You know, when you're on the couch, hey, babe, there's something that's been in my head for a while and I want to talk to you about it. I know you really like um, doing X. I know you really like sex in the shower, but I have to tell you, like, it rinses away all my natural lubrication. I actually don't feel really good when we do that. And I love being intimate with you and I love how turned on you are. And so I've always had a really hard time telling you. So it's, It's that like Hmm. coming from a place of like, here's where I'm at. Like, this is the reason that I haven't been upfront about this before. You know, here's what I love and how can we shift this? You know, like I think that there's- What else can we try that's hot that we can both enjoy? Yeah, yeah. You know, I really like when we do this or I've always wanted to try that. And it gives, it also gives your partner an opportunity, you know, because if you've never had that kind of dialogue before, there might be things that you're doing that aren't necessarily doing it for them. And you really need to be mindful about the information that comes your way because we often take things personally, right? I don't know Mm -hmm. why this is, I I think it's less for men, but definitely women have this like sense of pride in their ability to give blowjobs. Like, they're just like, you know, I'm really good at it or, you know, like for some reason, I don't know why we get stuck on this. But like if your partner was to say like, hey, I actually, you know, don't like that thing you do with your hand. Yeah. Don't take it as a personal attack. It's not a personal attack. You know, they yeah. they want to feel pleasure when they're with you and yeah. how you do that. And the other thing is if, you're, if your partner isn't being openly communicative, ask questions. Yeah. Is this hot? Does this turn you on? 
is this, does this feel better or does this feel better? Again, like asking these questions that they don't have to like really think about a good response. They can just be in the experience and also be very honest. Yeah. Even for me hearing you say that, and I'm thinking, I, I like to pride myself in having pretty good open communication generally. And I Mm -hmm. think for me, just even though I'm willing to have really hard conversations with people and my partner, I'm very expressive about my feelings. I would say that in the bedroom, I'm a little bit more reserved. So hearing you suggest these questions, I'm thinking, yeah, I've, I've definitely asked some of them, but even then I feel a bit hesitant to go there. And I think a part of that comes from my upbringing, like you and I spoke when we met about the role that religion played in our lives and in our sex mm-hmm. life. And so, you know, as you said, it was, there's, what did you call it? The purity movement. Purity um, culture. Yeah. Yeah. The purity culture. Yeah. And I grew up in that as well. And there was a lot of, I guess, shame in one part, but also just like, you don't talk about sex because if you're talking mm-hmm. about sex, then you're going to have sex. So let's not at all and not talk about pleasure or anything. And so whatever I knew and learned about sex, honestly, I don't even know where I got this stuff, probably partly from books and partly from movies. I didn't watch porn. I wasn't allowed to watch sex scenes. So I'm not even sure how I just must have come up with stuff, maybe walking yep. in on my parents a couple of times. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so so I'm thinking even now, I'm someone who's so open um, and I feel quite hesitant and reserved to that. Um, How much of a role do do things like, you know, your upbringing, religion, these movements that like the culture that you've been caught up in, I feel like this plays quite a pivotal role in how stuck you can feel when it comes to communication and even just like thinking about pleasure and talking about sex. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because based on on the way we were raised and, you know, anyone who comes from a conservative religious upbringing, I'm going to say the majority of religious upbringings, um, even if we take away sex, even if we don't talk about sex, mm-hmm. you identify as a female, it is your mm-hmm. job as a female to not contradict the man in your life. It mm-hmm. is your job as a female to like, be the helpmate, to be the partner. So it's not even just about sex shame. It's also Mm. about like roles we've accepted in genders, right? And then the pressure we feel. So even like men, you're supposed to be the one who wants sex all the time. You're supposed to be the one who knows what you're doing. And you're supposed to be the one to be able to like, you know, give her leg shaking orgasms, but also you're not supposed to have a lot of experience or, or you should have a lot of experience, but you also should be committed to your partner. So it's like, we, we're all getting these mixed messages and so many of our day-to-day decisions are actually based on conditioning that we've had, Mm -hmm. right? From society, from, you know, even things like language, right? The English language encourages a certain set of thinking, you know, North American culture, Australian culture, like all of our cultures, our religions, our families, you know what I'm saying? Like it goes from big to like smaller, smaller, smaller. And unless we decide that we want to do things differently and we make intentional steps to do them differently, we won't. We'll do them in the way that we've been conditioned from, you know, family, religion, community, friends, 
all of those things. Like I was chatting with a guy one time. It's really interesting because anytime I tell somebody that I'm a sex coach, I always equate it to like, um, like a champagne bottle. It's like everybody is like this walking around champagne bottle yeah. of like sex questions. And then as soon as I say I'm a sex, sex coach, it's like the top pops off and there's a million things that come out. And so this one guy was telling me, he's like, you know, I think pregnant women are really, really hot. And yeah. I was like, okay. And he's like, but my friends told me that's weird. And I was like, who, who cares what your friends think? Like, are you attracted to your friends? Like, are you trying to get with your friends? And he's like, no, they're guys. And I was like, so why do we care what your guy friends think about what you think is sexy? Like, mm. I don't, I don't like that. Sh that should have no impact. Like if you're, if you think a pregnant woman is really attractive, like to me, that's a good thing because if you want a family, hopefully you find your yeah. partner attractive while she's yeah. pregnant. You know, like it's such an interesting, but like the fact that his friends told him that that was weird immediately made him embarrassed and ashamed and feeling guilty about it. It's like, mm. so we, we really do take in so much information and then without that sense of confidence and like really knowing our own pleasure and desire, we get swayed a lot. And then we're, then yeah. we're feeling like confused and we have all these weird messages and it's like hit or miss intimacy with partners. And you're like, sometimes it feels intimate, sometimes it doesn't. And you don't really know what the common thread is, right? Yeah. So then what would you say or recommend to people? It sounds like it's quite important to actually start uncovering some layers of pleasure within yourself what pleasure means mm -hmm. I, I've you know are there some questions that are good for people to consider within themselves to think about to start to I suppose like reframe and rebuild this you know little tree house rather than it's I think for most of us that picture was just so great I think most of us have gone through life in the exact same way when it comes to sex is just, I'm just taking whatever and I'm just going to come up with whatever <laughs> and hope for the best. Yeah. I think one of the practices that I have almost all my clients do is make a list of non-sexual pleasures. Because when, so my personal definition of pleasure, and I know I don't get to define the English language, but <laughs> when I use the word pleasure, I think that if you are fully present in a moment, that's pleasure because pleasure isn't always what we associate with a quote unquote happy or quote unquote positive feeling, right? There is pleasure in being fully in the feelings of whatever it is you're feeling. So that could mean you're sad about something. If you've ever had this experience where you're sad about something, but you don't want people to know like you're embarrassed or mm -hmm. you feel like it's out of, you know, it's not the right time to express it. There's like, it's not very pleasurable because you can't fully be in the moment. And the same with like, you know, pleasure when something feels really good and you can fully express it without holding back at all, it feels so much more amazing. And so I think that being present in the moment and allowing yourself to be with whatever feelings those are, whether that's anger or sadness or excitement or, or whatever, it, it is the biggest step to transforming your relationship to sex and pleasure. And I think that because when you pause to be in this moment, you're not in your future worries. You're not in your past concerns. Mm. You're right here. And that just gives you enough of a break that you can start to catch yourself, right? So if you bring yourself to the moment, you pause, you're here, you're feeling like even right now, anyone listening or watching this, like just feel your body breathe, feel the clothes on your skin, 
feel the sensation of anything touching you, the air touching you. And now you have a moment, you're fully present, whatever comes next, you're deciding it comes next. Mm. As opposed to us in this autopilot, right? We go into the bedroom, we're like, okay, we kiss for a few minutes, then my shirt comes off, then his pants come off, you know, it goes like this, it goes like that. And instead of that, just being like fully in the moment, what does it feel like when you are kissing your partner, right? Mm. And and the problem that the struggle is, is that when you get into those heat of the moments, if you haven't already practiced being fully present in the moment, it's going to be really tricky to do that in the bedroom. So if you can spend time throughout your day noticing the little pleasures and really dropping fully into the sensation of the moment, then when you go into the bedroom or into intimate moments, it's going to be a lot easier to do. It's going to feel more natural. It's going to come, ha, huh, funny use of the word, but (laughs) it's going to come easier, right? Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And that right there for me is, I think, where I'm like, it is so wholesome. It really is. It's taking mindfulness. It's taking Mm -hmm. breath work. It's taking these tools that we say is so important in everyday living for a healthier life and actually applying it in the bedroom and saying it doesn't only affect your day-to-day living, your general mental state and your physical state, but actually what it allows you to do in the bedroom is have a more intimate connection with your partner and to be fully present. Mm -hmm. And it is, I guess, what's interesting for me is before right now in this moment when I've thought about, say, yoga and Yoga really is just a practice of being present, mm-hmm. you know, forgetting asana, all the movement stuff aside. It really is. It's a practice of presence. And I think I've generally almost separated presence with, you know, being mindful in here or doing something like painting watercolor and stuff. But I must say there have definitely been times when I've forgotten to be present in sex yeah and I'm kind of you know whether it's like thinking about the next thing or you know what should I do here what's going to make this better or more enjoyable yeah yeah and we also think like very destination right like yeah am I close if I move like this do I get closer is he close should I be moving more do I need to move less like we're, we're kind of thinking about the destination and, you know, a really great practice, it's in the Come As You Are book, is is like take orgasms off the table. Just decide that you and your partner are not going to orgasm today. And then what does that experience look like, right? Wow. If you stop and you just like focus on your breath, what does that feel like? And it's so intimate when you just sit with your partner and you synchronize your breath with theirs, right? Like, that feels so connected. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a heated moment and you're focusing on their orgasm or your orgasm or whatever, then you really lose those like really powerful, intimate moments that really deepen your connection. Mm -hmm. That concludes part one of my interview with Jenna. Tune in next week as we continue our conversation on holistic sex practices and deepening pleasure in your life. If you'd like to connect with Jenna, you can reach out to her on on Instagram at Jenna underscore Switzer. And I'll also include a link to her website and to her socials in the show notes. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to rate and review it. um, And you can follow along on Spotify or wherever else you listen 
to your podcasts. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel and follow me on Instagram at self double underscore podcast and at Amanda Latran. That's Amanda L-E-T-R-A-N. I release episodes every Thursday and I will see you next week. Bye. Bye.